There's no greater love than God keeping us and helping us so we have a way to keep from going to hell. The subject of hell is hard, always hard to preach on for me. My heart breaks if I think about it too much, about the people I've known, had conversation with, fellowship with, that are in hell tonight and will eventually be placed into the lake of fire after the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. I've done all kinds of different angles and sermons on the subject of hell. I've done all kinds of different angles on it. Maybe one of the most devastating things of hell that I know of is how long it's going to be. Never ending. I can't put my mind around that. Can't put my mind around it. But I know this, that the more you and I as born-again believers realize the reality of hell, in other words, it becomes a reality to us, first of all, the better Christian you're going to be, the more excited about being saved you're going to be, because you're going to be excited you get saved from hell, and the more evangelistic you're going to be, because you wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. You just wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. I'm preaching tonight on the most classical place in the New Testament of Jesus' words on this subject in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, 48. I'll read them. And I want to emphasize three words. And these are Jesus' words, by the way. By the way, don't get mad at me and say, oh, that preacher down there at gospel, he preached on hell. It's a negative. Don't do it. We preach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, so help us God. That's the sign out front. We preach the good, the bad, and the ugly. We preach the parts you like, the parts you don't like, and you wouldn't want it any other way. I don't want to be pandered. I don't want to, I don't want to be politicianed when it comes to the Word of God. I want you to preach the whole thing to me. I want you to teach the whole thing to me, the good parts, the bad parts, the hard parts, the easy parts. Give it all to me. Let me let the Holy Spirit and I decide about it. But fabulous, unbelievable passage here, Jesus' words, and I want to emphasize a few things. It won't be long, but I hope you leave here tonight. My prayer on this message is that you leave somewhat shaken. I want you to leave shaken. I want your soul to be shaken. Or you may say shook. I want you to have a, a, new, a new vision of what Jesus is speaking about. I need it. You need it. We need it. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. And I want you to mark the words, if you don't already have them marked, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. That's wild. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. And notice the three words. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never. These aren't my words. These aren't independent, fundamental, Bible-believing words. These are the words of Jesus himself. 
never shall be quenched. And then an interesting and curious phrase, which I'm not really going to deal with tonight, in verse 44, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. People in hell have a worm assigned to them. It says their worm, not a worm. Where their worm dieth not. What in the world is that? That's stuff horror movies are made up. And if they foot offend, they cut it off. It is better. Notice the words, it is better for thee to enter into life having two feet to be cast into hell than, than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. And a re repetition, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if that eye offend thee, pluck it out. Those are those three, next three words. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If we went home after reading, this passage is so powerful. That if you just read it, it, it doesn't work in you. Just reading it. I get a kick out of liberals who love to quote, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. They love to talk about the grace of God, and I do too. They love to talk about the love of God, and I do too. But they absolutely will not talk about this stuff right here. They won't do it. It is better occurs four times in these, in these uh, seven verses. Obviously, between you and I, this is extreme language in making these comparisons. But Jesus is the only one who really knows what is ahead for the lost. Do you agree with that? Say amen. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one. That really, when he's saying this, he knows what he's talking about. I get up here and tell it to you. I've never been there. I don't know what it's like. I'm not even sure all the meanings of, of their worm dieth not. I just know that's an unusual thing. It seems like they have an assigned. But, but Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. So when he gives this, when these extreme words, extreme comparisons come out, understand who's saying it. It's important you know that. It's easy to speak words without mental pictures coming to mind. Easy to simply read a passage and miss its impact. These three words, as I've read through this passage so many times, stuck out to me. It is better. And so I ask a question tonight. And, and bear with me tonight, if you would. I ask a question tonight. What is better than to be cast into hell. What is better than being cast into hell? Well, first of all, verse 42, it's better to have a millstone hanged about your neck and cast into the sea, obviously drowned that way, than to offend a child of God that believes in Jesus. How important is it to do bus ministry and children's ministries? Woohoo! It's big. 
big. The word offend means to scandalize. Little ones, by the way, these little ones he talks about in that verse, those are very small children. Those are like uh, uh, anywhere from birth to three-year-olds, according to the language. So I meditated on this and came up with a visual picture for you. It's, it's fictional. It's from my imagination. But it goes along with verse 42, okay? So what I'm going to say is fictional because I want you to have an imagination with me because he said it would be better that you have a millstone. Now, if you know a millstone, it's about a, a foot wide piece of granite. Sometimes they're two feet tall or a foot wide with a hole in the middle, uh, sometimes three feet, four feet, five feet. I've seen different. But let's just say there was a three-foot piece of granite, a foot wide, foot wide, three feet tall with a hole in the middle. I have no idea what it would weigh. Be, I know, I know uh, Morris knows what it would weigh, if he could tell how many cubic feet. He knows the weight of rock. And they tied a rope around that. And put your, they, they, just picture yourself in a boat in the blue open ocean. Two men hold you down while one puts a rope around your neck. The man tightens the rope around your neck a little uncomfortably tight. Your hands are tied and your feet are tied. You look at the end of the six-foot piece of rope, and there's a three-foot diameter piece of granite called a millstone, which they tie the, under end, the other end of the rope to. By now, your, your respiration and your heart is out of control. Your breathing's increased to where you're almost passing out. The man, the man proceeds to tell you that in a few moments they're going to throw the millstone overboard where the boat is, and it's about 600 feet deep where they're at. Light penetrates, as a diver I know, light penetrates to about 300 feet, and after 300 feet it's pitch black in the ocean, pitch black. Three men proceed to slide the stone to the edge of the boat, and you, you become more panicky as you see that stone slide to the edge of the boat, knowing that when that thing goes over the edge, you're going with it. Eventually, they proceed to release you and slide the stone over the edge of the boat. You hear the plunk in the, in the water just instantly before the rope tightens around your necks and jerks you over the side of the boat, and you accelerate down into the water. You hold your breath, because that would be your normal instinct, would be to hold your breath. But it won't do you any good, because as you go down, the pressure, and haven't been a diver and haven't done enough snorkeling, even go down 25 feet snorkeling, the weight, of the, the weight of the water will begin to compress your lungs and compress you. You feel it. Imagine being on a, on a rocket ship to the bottom on a, with a millstone ahead of you that weighed maybe three, 400 pounds. It isn't long before you black out and you're gone. Totally petrified. Jesus said, it would be better to die that way than to offend a little one that believes in me. How serious do you think that is? It would be better. Second thing he says, we see here in this passage, verse 43, it's better, it's better to have your, to be literally maimed, if I may say it that way. It's better to have your hand cut off than it is to go to hell. Imagine with me again, two men grab you. Before you get out of this room, you may have some dreams tonight. Imagine two men grab you and force you into a room. You enter into this room, 
and see only a piece of furniture, a wood, large wood block, about three feet high, sitting in the middle of the room. Out of the corner of your eye, you see a door open as a man enters in with a large axe. This axe blade is semicircular shape, about 10 inches long. Two men now joined by a third wrestle you and put your right hand, your right arm and right hand extended over about the, the middle of the table. Your heart begins to race. Your breathing obviously is unbelievable. You're scared out of your mind. You, you kind of understand what's going on, but maybe you, you, you're hoping it don't happen. You be with all, your, with all the strength that you've got, you pull your arm back. You tighten your fist like that for the last time. The man raises the axe, and before you know it, you hear the thud of the axe on the wood. Boom. You still feel your hand. The man says, go ahead and pull your arm back because he cuts your hand off of the wrist. The pain is excruciating. It comes up your arm, blows out the top of your head. Your blood's squirting all over the room. The men leave the room, don't care if you live or die. Jesus said, it'd be better to have that experience than to die and go to hell. Months after you get your hand cut off, you suffer through pain night after night after night, keeping you up with throbbing pain from the loss of the hand as it begins to try to heal. The nerve endings begin to heal. People that have lost their members tell me my brother lost some fingers, and he told me for months after he lost his fingers, he would grab for something, and he felt like he had his fingers, the nerves in his head, but it, it was, they weren't there. Think of the things that she couldn't do. Never again will you feel the soft hair of your daughter with your right hand. Never again will you throw a baseball at your boy with your right hand. Never again will you cast a fishing line with your right hand or grab anything with your right hand. This is better. What I've described and what Jesus mentioned here is better than being cast into hell. Why? Because having your right hand cut off is passing. Having your right hand cut off is less painful than going to hell. Having your right hand cut off is less horrifying. And it would be horrifying to have your hand cut off like that. But it's less horrifying to have your hand cut off than it would be, and it will be horrifying if you die and go to hell without Christ and answer for your own sin. What is better than being cast into hell? Having your foot cut off. Being halt. One morning, I woke up. Aren't you glad for that? One morning, I woke up, and I had to use the restroom. And I flipped my feet out of the bed. And as every other morning I had done before that, my, my, left, hand, my left foot hit the floor first, and my right foot hit the floor second. As soon as my right foot hit the floor, as if you took an ice pick, and put it into my heel. It was like a it was like a pain went up my leg and blew out the top of my head. It's all about the only way I can describe it. I immediately went down to my knees on the floor in agony. I had gout of the heel that had developed overnight. Now I had never had the pain in the heel like that. I'd never had gout in the heel, I had it in the legs, had it in the thumb, had it in the fingers, and I knew it was real bad, but never, never did I have anything like this pain I had in the heel. I still had to go to the bathroom. So I crawled on my hands and knees. My wife's still sleeping. She's very sympathetic. Just kidding you now. 
Uh, my wife, she gets up, what's going on? Bill, I'm saying, man, I don't know, man, something's wrong with my heel. I crawl on my hands and knees. Of course, I hear my wife say, oh, not something else. <laughs> Easy girls. Easy girls. And I crawl on my hands and knees. Now, the problem with that is we got ceramic all the way down the hallway to the bathroom. And I'm not used to crawling on my knees. I quit laying floor covering in my 30s, and I had calluses on my knees back then. I could have done it easily, but boy, I mean, I, I don't have those calluses anymore. And I started on that tile, but there was a, you know, nature was pushing me. So I'm like crawling, and I'm wanting to get up on that, and every time I touch it, Jesus said, it's better to have your foot cut off. It's better to be whole your whole life than to suffer the punishment he mentions and describes in a place called hell. What's better than being cast into hell? His fourth illustration is found in verse 47. Having your eye cut out, he said, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. I use that word. I want to look that word up in the Greek. Pluck it out. And what I'm going to give you an illustration of what that means. He's not just saying go without an eye. It's the process of having it taken out. And I'm going to use the word plucked out like a bird would. Pluck your eye out. Imagine with me again. Three men. They abduct you, take you to a remote warehouse. Tie your hands behind your, you're sitting in a chair and they tie your hands behind your back and your feet together to the chair. You can't move, you can move your head. You're in a small room, one light bulb, the end of a wire. Suddenly two men enter in to that room. One obviously is carrying a needle nose pliers. The other big strong man grabs your head, throws your head back, opens your eye while the second man takes his needle nose priors and jams it into your eye, closes it, and rips your eye out. You never thought you'd get that when you come to a Baptist church, did you? He plucks your eye out. I don't even know what the pain would be like. I know the fear factor and the emotional factor would be massive. I mean, it would come back to you in the night. You'd wake up with, with, with wet blanket. You'd wake up with the sweats replaying that whole moment because the last thing you saw with them pliers coming towards your eye. You scream. Till your throat bleeds from screaming and you can't scream anymore, you're so hoarse. Where your eye once was is now just simply a bloody hole. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, that whole process I explained is way better than dying in your sin and going to a place called hell. If you're over here without Christ tonight, I'm giving you a warning that is covered in love. What I'm doing tonight is the most loving sermon you'll ever hear because I'm trying to keep you from going to hell where 
your worm dies not. And the fire is not question. I didn't make an illustration up of what a bed of worms being thrown into a bed of worms would be like. I know they had a show on TV a while back where they put somebody in a box and they'd, they'd put snakes all in the box. You people that are, Brother Ernie, where you at, man? They'd put snakes in the box. And they'd just, you wouldn't last very long in that, would you, man? And some people really have a, they're freaked out by snakes, man. It drives them up. But worms and snakes are similar. Now you say, that's, that's be, that'd just be awful. That'd just be absolutely awful. Jesus said, better to have that happen than go to a place where the worm dies not. Why is it better? Because what I just described to you and what Jesus just described to you in these four illustrations on earth will pass. If that happened to you when you were five years old, eventually you're going to get old and die and you're going to, you're, 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 you're not going to suffer with those problems. Your body is going to be gone. You're not going to suffer with loss of hand, loss of foot, loss of eye, uh, and, and drowning experience. That'll all be gone. So there'll be an end to those things. And if you got an end to suffering, it's, 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 it's tolerable in some degree if you can see an end to it. Somehow you see an end to it. But trust me when I tell you this, all through the Bible, all the teaching there is on the, on the subject of hell is unending. People have tried to come up with annihilation, the doctrine of annihilation, which is not a biblical doctrine. It's a man-made doctrine. I wish in some degree it was true that when you died, you ceased to exist you became like you were before you were born. You'd have no consciousness of being here. You're gone. It's over. I wish I could tell you that that's what Jesus said. I wish I could tell you that's what the Bible said. But that's not what it says. And the most, the person with the most authority of what is in the future is the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. Hell, the Bible says, was made for the devil and his angels. But if you don't trust Christ and follow him and you follow your father, he said real clearly in John 8, 44, you're your father, the devil. So without Christ, we have a father, it's the devil, and you're going to go where your father goes. And what, you, what we need is to change fathers, amen? You get, you get that done by repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior that, was, that died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and you, with all your heart, ask him to be your Savior, And you're born again. And you change fathers. That's what that is. That's being born again is having the Holy Spirit come in. And now you have a new father. I have a new body coming. And I got a new father already. And it's going to be great. There was an alarm guy. I have an alarm system on my house. And I have an alarm guy came to my house over and over. I believe his name was John, first name. And, uh, you know, when people come to my house, like I told you this morning, they're going to get the gospel somewhere or another. I'm going to give them the gospel. They're not going to be on my property. They're not going to be in contact with me without hearing about Jesus. I can't, I couldn't stand it. So I began to try to talk to John about Jesus. He said, oh, he said, really? I, you know, I'm Roman Catholic. He said, I don't really, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a good Roman Catholic, but I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. That's enough religion for me for a lifetime. I said, oh, no. And, and he would come every so often, every year or so. And he would, you know, at various ways cut me off of talking to him. 
The last time he came, I just feel overwhelming burden to just get tough with him. So I said, now, John, you got to let me talk to you about the gospel. Okay. So I gave him the gospel. And he told me that he had experiences that, that turned him off, of course, so that people were wicked. And, and he saw, you know, I'm just going to give you some, you know, he saw Christians that weren't living the way he thought they should live. And you know what I say to that? Don't go to hell because of somebody else's hypocrisy. I mean, if you decide to use uh, counterfeit money, that doesn't change my money. If you decide to go off and go crazy, that's, you go do your thing, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to follow you. If everybody, I always said this early on in my life, if everybody decides to go to hell around me, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I was five years old. Bob, I'll finish the story on John. Uh, I really was able to give the gospel to him, and he, he came under a, a degree of conviction as I was talking to him about it. But he said, no, no, I'm, I'm not, not, not really interested in that. You know, and he started backing away. I said, well, John, you really need to pay attention. I just gave him a gospel track again. I said, really read this and think about what I said. The next week he died of a heart attack instantly. Unless he got saved, I didn't know he got saved. John's in hell right now. And if John could come up here in the pulpit tonight, he'd tell you, whatever Jesus said, it's true. Five years old, I was in Sunday school class, First Baptist Church, Elkhart, Indiana, and my Sunday school teacher had flannel graph. Now, how many know flannel graph? Yeah, our teachers still use it. That's how advanced we are. But uh, flannel graph's good. There's nothing wrong with flannel graph. And I used to... As a kid, I had a big imagination. She'd put that person up there, and I'd pretend it was like a real person, you know, in real hills, and they'd put that background up, and it was, ooh, it was exciting. I'm telling you, it was exciting to me, a five-year-old. And this woman put a background up, and it was like a hill and a, and a, and a cliff and a hill, uh, or a straight thing and a cliff, and it was, and un, at the bottom, she put these flames. She had this one flannel graph. You put the flannel graph up. She put the flannel graph up at the bottom, and it was flames of fire. And she put a little people over here, as if they were walking this way. And, she, and then pretty soon she began to teach on hell. She had some of these little people fall off the cliff and go down into these flames. And it just was like, whoa, man, that's awful. Then she had the Jesus Christ as the bridge from those two places. And you could go past hell and over hell and not go there and be saved and go to heaven. She had heaven up over here. You realize that's 65 years ago? And I still have a very clear memory of that. Sunday school teachers, Sunday school teachers, be encouraged, be enthused. You don't know who's in your class. I went home that got my, we had three boys and my mom and dad were in front. It was a 1957 Chevy, I think. I was in the back seat. We always were in the back seat. I got up on the, no seat belts. I got up on the, behind my mom. And I said, Mom, I want to be saved. She said, you do. Why do you do? She said, I said, Mom, I don't want to go to hell. She says, why would you go to hell? Oh, I've done bad things, Mom. I've lied. I've cussed. I've smoked. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done bad things, Mom. I've hated. 
I'll go to hell if I die now. And she said, you would. Much as I wouldn't want you to, you would. And she gave me the simple gospel and led me to Christ as we were going down about the corner of Bristol and Cassopolis Street in Elkhart. I asked Jesus to save me. Oh, what a day when Jesus took my sins away. Oh, what a day when he took the prospect of answering for my own sin in a place called hell away. Because now I can read this passage without fear because I trust in the living Savior who gave his life for me so I wouldn't have to go there. My heart breaks for the hundreds of people I've talked to through the years that are in hell today. The hundreds, yea, thousands of people I've talked to that just didn't want it, didn't want to change. You say, why would anybody not want the gospel? I'm going to tell you, take your Bibles, go to John chapter 3. I'm going to show you why people decide to go to hell. Even after hearing sermons like this, even after reading Mark chapter 9, verse 42, 48, you would think nobody, nobody would not want to be saved. You say, well, how do you know hell? hell for sure? Well, let me just say this. If, there, if there's just a possibility that what Jesus said was true, I want to get saved. Now, let me say this. If I die and it's not true, I haven't lost anything. But if you die and it's not true, you're going to hell. If you die and it's true, you're going to hell. That's what I mean. You with me on that? I've told people at the door, hey, you may think what I believe isn't true. If it's not true, I've lived a wonderful life. I'm not drinking alcohol is beautiful. Not smoking, doing drugs is beautiful. Being faithful to one woman a whole life is beautiful. Being, being trying to help people is beautiful. The Christian life is a beautiful life. And if it's not true at the end of life, okay. But let me say this. If I'm, wrong, if I'm right and, and I look at them and say, you're wrong. You're facing God's wrath upon sin and your rejection of his sweet, blessed son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! So John chapter 3, verse 16, you already know it. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's something you actually have to do. You don't get saved by osmosis. You don't get saved by hanging around people that are saved. You don't get saved by, by communion or baptism or uh, reading some sort of a, um, doctrinal statement or adhering to a doctrinal statement or being part of a certain denomination uh, you do not get saved except for repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Verse 19, these are Jesus' words, by the way, and this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world. And look at it, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why don't they get saved? They don't want to leave their sin. They don't want to leave their evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Now look, you say, well, I don't think people hate the light. Well, you can argue with Jesus when you see him. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. That is the answer why people die and go to hell. 
That's the answer right there. He, he gives it as clear and as simple language as you could lay it out to somebody. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, for they are wrought in God. All I can say is I finish up, Jesus knows hell. Jesus has seen hell. Jesus has smelled hell. Jesus has heard hell. Jesus made hell. And he who had all that authority and did all that warned you, don't go there. And the one who knows about it and made it died so that you don't have to go there. Now, if you're not saved tonight, don't you get out of this room without getting saved. You say, well, I'm going to live plenty. Will you really? The graveyard's full of 13-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. I go to the mortician. I, I'm on first-name basis with morticians. And they tell me, man, what is going on? All these young guys dying of heart attacks with them because their hearts are failing them for fear of what is coming. We just had a couple of them die last week. A brother, Todd Wiff's brother, uh, died of, of some sort of a deal, and his wife died. After, after we buried Brother Wiff's mom, they were both there, and it wasn't long after that, both of them were dead. If your number's up tonight, where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? Don't you play with that. You say, a five-year-old doesn't know anything about anything. Jesus said, except you become like that five-year-old, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Except you be like a little child, you're not going to enter. You know, you're, you're big, tough, and brave, but you won't be. You won't be when the death angel shows up at the house. You won't be big, tough, and brave when you stand before the great white throne judgment. And even more than that, when the angel grabs you after the great white throne judgment, he says, come with me, and whether you like it or not, you're going with him. And he casts you into the lake of fire, which, as far as I can tell from Romans chapter, Revelation chapter 14, verse 10 and following, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, other places, is forever. Tonight, your blood's off my hands. I've warned you. Father in heaven, we pray that you'd come tonight. The people in this sound of my voice, whether over the internet, live stream, wherever it goes, brought podcasts, website, may it go to people, may they listen to it. May they take your warning. You said, I sent my prophets rising early and sending to warn people. Oh, let us be a better evangelist. Let's be, let's be more bold with people we meet. Let's be more <clears throat> bold with people we bump into. <clears throat> God, save some people. Please, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, 
or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.